Hey guys, Darren Watts here. Uh, before we get into this podcast, I just want to throw a disclaimer out there for everybody that's listening. Firstly, I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to me. But if anybody is listening to this podcast for the sake of advice, well, for the sake of actually trying to solicit advice from a professional, professional, then I'm not your guy. I would recommend that you listen to another podcast that has just that, a professional mental health personnel, psychologist, and all of them. But if you're listening to me just to hear my story, hear other people's story, and just solicited uh, some knowledge or some educational stuff from what I read, then this is the podcast for you to listen to. But other than that, thank you for listening, and enjoy this podcast. Yo! What's happening? What's good, everyone? Um, I'm back. Welcome back to another edition of Breaking Mental Health with Daryl. I am Daryl. So we're going to do the message here in a hot second. Then my journey, your journey. And then today, I'm going to discuss um, guns in the hands of mental illness. Now, this is impacted by people who not only have mental illness, but also in the general form of school shootings we're going to talk about that but before we talk about that before we get into today's show um today's podcast uh, i'm saying this now because this was really a last minute decision so i mentioned um I think back in February, I'm sorry, back in March's uh, podcast, I couldn't remember which one it was, but I mentioned that um, I would be doing uh, an everyday podcast for um, World Mental Health Month for the month of May. Um, I'm going to be doing that, but however, I have also decided that this is going to be the last episode that I do so I can prepare for um, World Mental Health Month. And the reason why I'm doing that is because um, a lot of things has come up and I have been extremely busy. So it has really kind of gotten me behind. So this one right here, uh, April 4th, is the last one until World Mental Health Month in May. And I'm going to be doing an episode every day. And it's going to be a challenge because I will still be in the middle of dissolvement and doing this at the same time. So, this is a good challenge for me. And this is really going to affect my mental health. So, I'm really going to be taking a lot of good care of myself at this point here. And... I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. So, um, yeah, that's that's how that's how we're going to work this one. So, okay, let's go on and start today's podcast.
I'm legit actually? That's what I said to myself when I discovered at 25 that electronic music was created by black and pop from LGBT community, from the LGBT community. I always had a hard time getting into clubs when I was younger, so I didn't go. There weren't a lot of references in France, not at all in electronic music in terms of black people. A bouncer even wanted to ban me from the club where I was mixing last year, doing one of my gigs in Paris. In France, when you're a black man, let's say non-white, there's this idea that you ain't got no money. You're here to make trouble. For those that don't know me, I'm Jamie Silk. I am 32 years old. My father's from Benin, West Africa. My mother is Italian, and I grew up in France. I was eight years old when my father sat me down with my five-year-old sister to say, you are Negroes. You must be proud of that. That's how people will see you. You don't have to be ashamed. A radar is one of those things one of the first things you develop, you know you're not seen as the norm. Look at the black electronic artists that we put forth. Are we focusing on their mus musical identity or their identity as a black person? I'm a heterosexual man. I don't have the same obstacles as a black woman, LGBTQ plus person or a disabled one. But one thing that we share in common is to internalize all the wounds due to racism. It starts with the radar that you develop at a very young age, learning to distrust. This state of alertness is part of my daily life, and that's the same in the music world. It is a double punishment. We are sold this lie that electronic music is a lovely family. You start your life evaluating people, which implies a withdrawal, possibly a lack of confidence. And the most important thing in any business is networking. You have to network when society makes you understand that you are tolerated and not respected. You internalize, you internalize anger, frustration, and have to deal with contempt. It leads to perverse behaviors. I've seen black DJs accepting gigs that I refused because they were ethically, ethically immoral. For example, I was offered a gig to play in the museum in honor of a slave driver or playing on all the cliche of black iconography to please an industry where the decision makers are white. Industry picks its winners. Black people were sold by boats. Now they are sold on magazine covers. Still the chosen ones. It leads to hypocrisy by those who pretend not to be racist while they apply the same mechanisms. The same mechanisms put in place by the system and by black people who accept to put aside the principles to be tokenized. Filled with this feeling of self-betrayal, considering the per perpetual lack of opportunities, it may be the real only chance they, they will have. The segregation in the music scene is real. If you never ask yourself when you rent an Airbnb apartment if you need to remove your photo to make sure that the guest accepts the reservation. Then for you, racism is fewer blister that appears when you are confronted with it and disappears after 30 minutes. People often say, I don't see colors. By doing so, you're denying the condition of being a person of color. Most, if not all, the big names of electronic music during the 90s in France had the same background. White, from a wealthy family. I remember when I was about 20 years old, I met an electronic music DJ from Maghreb in Paris. He told me he wouldn't make a career in France because he wasn't white. There are definitely colors. It's so pretentious to say I am empathetic. So I, underst I understand racism. If you never ask yourself when you rent an Airbnb apartment, if you need to remove your photo to make sure the guest accept the reservation, then for you, racism is, is fewer blister that appears when you are confronted with it, it and disappears after 30 minutes. I repeated that.
People say they don't want to be involved, that they are apolitical when you address the issue about cultural appropriation. And they are the ones who decide who will be on the radio, on their radio, who will be reviewed in their magazine, who will be booked. There is a law of silence. The feeling of rejection exists. How can you be vocal when nobody cares? In order to make their voices heard, marginalized groups generally have to organize themselves as a collective like this woman, which through its actions has helped to accelerate discussions concerning the marginalization of women in the electronic scene. By tracing people, the industry has bitten its tail. By giving in by giving in to conformism, it has put aside its innovators. The people who push creativity, being an artist, is being confronted with very precarious conditions at times. Creating takes time. You have to be able to endure its psychology, not being able to live like everyone else. You need this capacity of resilience, and even more so when you're a part of marginalized community and is subject to daily microaggressions. The space of electronic music is not spared. It is a safe space. The feeling of defeat, the duality between going on or stopping. You could be black, but not too much. It's all about perception. In the West, you had to you had to assimilate as a non-white person. In electronic music too, that's unacceptable. During that, you will show people you treat them as exceptions, not as equal. Self-confidence is diminishing. You question yourself. You turn inward. You burn out. It impacts mental health, our loving relationship, our journey as an artist. Wondering every time, why do we, why we do that when we know we'll not be accepted? Any black person who tries to preserve will be confronted with this. You feel not welcome. A French electronic music magazine recently wrote an article about the death of George Floyd. Without even mentioning the problem of representation with the scene, the people representing the audience commented, mostly white people, clearly said that they didn't care. That it had nothing to do with electronic music. Mm. <sighs> and of course, the magazine leaves comments and it creates engagement. It makes algorithm work. Everyone has to take a responsibility and stop this hypocrisy. We must challenge everyone. Not taking a stand is no longer an option. If we want the electronic music scene to become a safe place, we have to be able to address issues, whether it's about sexual assault, racism, or any other discrimination. Everybody should be able to have a discussion. In this next interview, a white DJ who is booked in every festival should be confronted with questions to know know his position. And it might be disturbing for those who won't say anything by fear of losing their place. Those who just take selfies and those with privileges of not exposing the issue. Many people are knowingly racist in the sense that they continue to perpetuate a system of discrimination and exclusion. Every media have a service where artists can contact them to tell them about the situation they have experienced with another person in an industry so that there's no longer a law of silence. Just being listened to and externalizing this violence will confront the people who perpetrate it. It is not about canceling them, but about confronting them and opening up discussions. Yeah. Jamie Silk, uh, the French DJ producer, describes the feelings of distrust and rejection that comes from working in a hypocritical industry that preaches unity while marginalizing black artists. There it is. Not even in the United States. This is in France. Hypocrisy Hypocrites, racism, and mental health. In France, they're experiencing it too. 
and it's sad that is that we're dealing with this because of how you know people don't want to take accountability that there is a lot of issues within racism and also mental health when people don't want to take racism seriously they're not going to take mental health seriously and it's starting to become a big story so when it becomes a big story it starts to leave what they call a threat so a threat is something that they feel like it's going to take over in which they look at it the wrong way it's not about being threatened it's just all about equality that's all it is it's all about equality that's it that's it that's the message okay so hit me up breakingmiddleh at gmail.com if you're not into email I'm available on social media I'm on Instagram uh, Love University and Twitter at Love University. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about racism. And let's talk about Magic Mind. I've also started back up again. I had to start back up again. One of the best things that's ever happened because I started falling behind, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about how you are making it, how you're surviving. And if you've done Magic Mind, let's talk about that too. Let's talk about what it's done for you. So hit me up. Let's start this thing. Okay. Originally, I was going to wait later on to talk about the school shootings and guns in the hands of mental illness, but I decided let's go ahead and just do this now. Um, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be acknowledged in a way that a change has to be made. And the reason I was going to wait until a later time to do this is so um, it'll give time for police to gather some inf more information and new details and stuff like that. Um, because as I'm, you know, did the reading and, and stuff like that, um, new detail had kept arising but um i just went on to say look this is really and not in a hateful way is nothing new but at the same time it's getting too painful to you know see this to be able to you know, witness all of these shootings while we're alive trying to live life. While young innocent children are living their lives, they innocently, innocently get shot down and killed. For what reason? For what reason? In my personal opinion, your mental health mental illness that's just in my very unpopular opinion because there's a lot of hate there's a lot of revenge or retaliation that a lot of people want to deal with and go ahead and do to make themselves feel at ease now, I've said this before, and I've said it 50 million times, and I'll say it again. When it comes down to your mental health and mental illness, it is not 100% your fault. It's not your fault. However, the way that you respond 
based off of hate, retaliation, bad blood, and all of that, you're in the center of accountability towards that. It's all you. It's all you. You can suffer from mental illness and mental health because you're depressed, because um, you have anxieties, because you're bipolar, because you have different issues with yourself. Does that mean you're going around and buying guns and killing people? No. Those type of mental health and mental illness are not your fault. Because it's okay not to be okay. Okay? It's, it's not your fault. For those that have actually experienced and witnessed these school shootings, you are by far the bravest. It's unexpected. Never knew that it came. Only except for those that knew. For those that actually took action. So, that is the thought process of what I'm looking at just seeing these uh, shootings that's going on. This is just how I'm feeling. So, let's talk about it. Guns in the hands of mental health. And this, and this narrows down to um, the recent shooting um, at the very end of March. I want to say it was March 30th. If I'm correct, it should be March 30th. I thought there was a date on here. Yeah, I think it was March 30th. But I just really need confirmation. No, actually it was March 27th. I apologize. That was March 27th. So, on that day, in March 27th, Audrey Hale, a 28-year-old, had killed three children and three adults at a private Christian school in Nashville. It was also said that uh, she was under care for an emotional disorder and also had legally bought seven firearms that were hidden at home. So the parents of the shooter uh, spoke to police and they said that they knew Hale had bought and sold one weapon and believed that was the extent of it. And they also felt that uh, Hale should not have... Uh, owned weapons and in this state yes she should not have been able to own weapons um, so what was the whole extent the police are not exactly 100% sure what it was but um, it has been speculated and I don't like going on the speculation, but right now it's really that one way to go. We may not never find out either. Um, it was speculated that um, she might have developed feelings for somebody at the school. Now, the question that still is unremained is if this was while she was in attending that school, which she did attend that school um, during her uh, during her time, she did attend that school. Was it somebody from uh, when she attended the school, or is it somebody now? 
or whatever. So that is a question that will, you know, it will probably never be known. It just depends on how the investigation goes and stuff like that. Um, the reason for a lot of these speculations is because we need definite answers. We need definite answers. And speculation is really not the best way to go, but it's important to pinpoint all the pieces of information that, you know, that has right in front of their face, literally right in front of their face. And a lot of people can spill out different details. And they'll know a lot of different things, but the motive of the shooting we'll never know because not only is the shooter dead, but um, even if she was alive, we probably still wouldn't know. It, may, it just depends on if she actually confessed that she was still alive. Um, that... It, it's really painful, to, to say the least. Um, so the day of the shooting, uh, she had left home with a red bag. And her parents asked what was inside, but was dismissed. Um, three of the weapons were used in the attack. And she also purchased those weapons, which were seven of them. Uh, between October 20th of 2020 and June 6th of 2022. Um, like I said, they do not know a no, uh, motive. Um, but she did target the school and the church. But the, uh, the, tar the target that she killed, um, the six children, I mean, the three children and the three adults was not actually specifically targeted by them. They was just either there or in the way. But she didn't go in there looking to say, hey, I'm going to kill the custodian or I'm going to kill the substitute teacher. That was not she that was not the target that she was planning. And I watched the uh video, the body cam video of two officers and it's it was pretty tense, believe it or not. Um, it was like it was like playing a video game in real life, except the difference was it was real life. And watching these officers, you know, go through with the body cam. And trying to locate the shooter. It had to be nerve wracking. If any police officer. Sat down with anybody. And did an interview. And asked them. If they were scared. Petrified or nervous. About approaching that school. And trying to get the killer. Were they nervous? And if they had told you no. You know they're lying. You know they are lying. Any officer that deals with that, that's the deadliest situation of them all. Domestic violence, school shootings, they are the deadliest. And I guarantee you that they will lie to you. If they said no, then they, they lied to you about that. They was all petrified. But they have to, you know, suit up. And they have to do their job. They have to do their jobs. And that's the scariest thing ever. To protect citizens. When it comes down to. A school shooter. Or in any case. of domestic violence. Anything not involving a gun. It's scary. Um, so. Police had also found some writings. That she did. And she also had 
um, a mall that was near the school as one of her targets that she was going to shoot down. Why? I don't know. They don't know either. Um, now, some students did know. I think it was either a student or some students knew that she was going to cause havoc and that was going to happen. So one of the students texted her dad and asked, hey, what should I do? Should I go ahead and um, get the police involved or call the suicide line? He said, yes, get somebody involved. And she called the uh, prevention suicide line. And um, eventually police was called. And that's when all hell broke loose. She broke in by shooting the glass on the uh, door. And she let herself in. And she made her way through the hallway and then through another hallway, which eventually led upstairs. Somewhere around that point, those three people just got killed. I don't know if it was upstairs or downstairs or both. And I believe she started shooting out the window at passing cars that was passing by. And then that's when naturally police came in and finished it up. Now, when we're talking about these school shootings, when we're talking about these school shootings, we're talking about pain. We're talking about safety. And the biggest question you can ever ask yourself is, how in the hell can I protect my child from these? shootings and now the answer is more guns more guns I get my thoughts I'll get my thoughts about more guns in a second um so President Joe Biden is calling on the Republicans to um, to follow the law of bipartisan safer community communities acts when it comes to uh, gun violence uh, significantly. So this is what the executive order would direct. Keeping guns out of dangerous hands. So increasing the number of background checks by ensuring that all background checks required by law are conducted before firearm purchases. Moving the U.S. as close to universal background checks as possible without additional legislation. A large majority of Americans support background checks and agree it's a common sense to check whether someone is a felon or domestic abuser before allowing them to buy a gun. The president will continue to call on Congress to pass universal background check legislation. In the meantime, he is directing the attorney general to do everything he can to ensure that firearm sellers who do not realize they are required to run background checks under existing law or who, will, who are willfully violating existing laws become compliant with the background check requirements. Specifically, the president is directing the attorney general to move the U.S. as close as to universal background checks as possible without additional legislation by clarifying, as appropriate, the statutory definition of who is engaged in the business of dealing in firearms as updated by the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. This move would mean fewer guns would be sold without background checks. And therefore, fewer guns would end up in the hands of felons and domestic abusers. The president is also directing the attorney general to develop and implement a plan to prevent former federally licensed firearm dealers whose licenses have been revoked or surrender from continuing to engage in the business of dealing in firearms. Improve public awareness and increase appropriate use of extreme risk protection, red flag orders, and safe storage of firearms. 19 states 
and the District of Columbia have enacted red flag laws, allowing entrusted community members to petition a court to determine whether an individual is dangerous and then to temporarily remove an individual's access to firearms. However, these laws are only effective if the public knows when and how to use red flag orders. President Biden is directing members of his cabinet to encourage effective use of extreme risk protection orders, including by partnering with law enforcement, healthcare providers, educators, and other community leaders. In addition, President Biden is directing members of his cabinet to expand existing federal campaigns and other efforts to promote safe storage of firearms. Address the loss or theft of firearms during shipping. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or ATF, data indicates an over 250% increase in the number of firearms reported has lost or stolen during shipment between federally licensed firearms dealers from roughly 1,700 in 2018 to more than 6,100 in 2022. President Biden is directing the Secretary of Transportation in consultation with the Department of Justice to work to reduce the loss of theft of firearms during shipment and to improve reporting of such losses of th or thefts, including by engaging with carriers and shippers. Holding the gun industry accountable. Provide the public and policymakers with more information regarding federally licensed firearms dealers who are violating the law. Gun dealers violating federal law put us all at risk by increasing the likelihood that firearms will fall into dangerous hands. The president is directing the attorney general to public release the fullest extent permissible by law ATF records from the inspection of firearms dealers cited for violation of federal firearm laws. This information would empower the public and policymakers to be better understand the problem and then improve our laws to hold rogue gun dealers accountable. The Department of Defense acquisition of firearms to further firearm and public safety practices. The Department of Defense buys a large number of firearms and other weapons to protect and serve our country. The President is directing the Secretary of Defense to develop and implement principles to further firearm and public safety practices through Departments of Defense acquisition of firearms, consisting with applicable law. President Biden is also encouraging the Independent Federal Trade Commission with the FTC to issue a public report analyzing how gun manufacturers market firearms to minors and how such manufacturers market firearms to all civilians, including through the use of military imagery. Additional steps to make our communities safer and support communities impacted by gun violence. Help catch students by accelerating Accelerating Federal Law Enforcement's Reporting of Ballistics Data The National Integrated Ballistic Information Network allows federal, state, and local law enforcement to match fire cartridge casings to the guns from which they were fired, making it easier for law enforcement to connect multiple crime scenes and catch shooters. In order to maximize this effectiveness, Federal, state, and law enforcement will all have an important role to play in ensuring timely submissions of ballistics data to the National Integrated Ballistic Information Network today. Uh, the president is directing all federal law enforcement agencies to issue rigorous requirements regarding that data and use of this tool. Accelerate. And intensify implementation of Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. BSCA is the most significant gun safety legislator accomplished in nearly 30 years, and the Biden Harris administration is treating it as such by making the most of every opportunity it provides to reduce gun violence. President Biden is directing each agency responsible for the law's implementation to send a report to him within 60 days on progress toward full implementation of BSCA and additional steps they will take to maximize the benefits of the law, including by increasing public awareness and use of resources made available by BSCA. Improve federal law. I mean, I'm sorry. Improve federal support for gun violence survivors, victims, and survivors' families first responders to gun violence and communities affected by gun violence. When a hurricane overwhelms community, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, 
coordinates federal, state, local, and nonprofit organizations in order to assess and meet community needs. However, when a mass shooting overwhelms a community, no coordinated U.S. government mechanism exists to meet short and long-term needs, such as mental health care for grief and trauma, financial assistance. For example, when a family loses a sole breadwinner or when a small business is shut down due to, due to lengthy shooting investigation. And food, for example, when the Buffalo shooting closed down the only grocery store in the neighborhood, the president is directing members of his cabinet to develop a proposal for how the federal government can better support communities after mass shooting and identify what additional sources or authorities the executive branch would need from Congress to implement this proposal. And advanced congregational efforts to prevent the proliferation of firearms undetectable by metal detectors. In recent years, we've seen the rise of technology that allows guns to be made with polymers and other materials that are increasingly capable of avoiding detectors by metal detectors. President Biden is directing the Attorney General to help Congress modernize and make permanent the Undetectable Firearms Act of 1988, which is currently set to expire in December 2023, which is later on this year. Well, at the end of the year, to say the least. So, reading that, I'm going to give my thoughts. And, and this is the fact sheet right here. Um, I'm going to give my thoughts about this and gun laws. So, with reading the fact sheet on how... President Biden wants to reduce gun violence and make communities safer. Here's the thing. It's backwards. President Biden's reduced gun violence is one of the ways to help reduce gun violence. But then it's all about accountability. You have the Republicans that really don't want to, you know, kind of help with this situation, kind of make this bill go into play. I don't understand why, because there's too much shootings that is really just like sitting in front of their face. It's like they're sitting there and they're cooking a meal and the meal is burning and they see that, but they don't care. That's just an analogy that don't mean that it is what it is. If they actually seen a burnt meal like that, they'll probably either do it over or they'll just find something else to cook. But that's just the general point I'm trying to make. If you're cooking a meal and you see the burning, what are you going to do? You're going to either, one, just throw it out and go back to the drawing board, or you're just going to say, fuck it, I don't even give a shit. Here, here's your meal. Enjoy it. This is what we're looking like when we're coming down with this damn uh, gun laws. This is exactly what we're looking at. All these shootings are happening, and the Republicans don't give three dams. Well, they act like they want to give a damn. They want to say, oh, yeah, our thoughts and prayers go with, you know, the families during this tragic moment. First of all, fuck you and your prayers. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the praying of some sort, but the whole purpose of praying is to bring those that can actually bring action. And they're not one of them. They're not one of them. We're sitting here. Our anxieties, our depressions, it's just really off the wall because we're sending our children to school and we don't have anything in place to keep our children safe. Nothing. I'm a dad. To a toddler. Just turned two years old in January. January 4th. Is this the shit that I gotta look forward to? Is this the shit that I gotta look forward to when it comes down to sending my daughter to school? Because I really want to homeschool. Oh, well, yeah, that might not be the answer. Well, sure, hell, ain't sitting in the school, ain't sitting in the shit either. So we're in a lose-lose for nothing. When are we going to sit down and we're actually going to find some 
solutions. Oh, here's a bright idea. Let's go ahead and arm the teachers. Motherfucker, for what? Why you want to arm the teachers for? I'm sorry. It's backwards. We're trying to reduce gun violence, not bring more. That's the whole purpose in Biden trying to bring this into law. It's the whole purpose. Oh, but so now the gym teacher got to be armed. The English teacher got to be armed. The social studies teacher got to be armed. The council, the social workers, the principal. All you going to get armed. Why? Why are we arming these people? It don't make sense. More people, more children are dying because of guns. Well, guess what, girl? You got a problem with that. You got knives, scissors, anything in those materials that can kill people too. Okay, you're right. You're absolutely right. But you know what? What would you look like if we eliminated scissors, knives, and all that? We won't be able to make meals. We won't be able to participate in school activities. We won't be able to do none of that shit because y'all decide, oh, scissors and knives are problems. Yeah. People do use those things to kill people. Yes, they do. They do do that. But that's not the bigger cause to why people are getting killed. It's the guns. The guns. Not your muscle guns. The real guns. Those are the ones that we're talking about. These are the ones that we're sitting here trying to reduce. Not add. More children are getting killed because of those teachers being armed. What about that teacher that shot that six-year-old boy? You really want to bring more guns into this shit? What the hell is wrong with you people? When are we going to wake up and learn that guns are the problem? Do anybody not realize that I'm pretty much damn near repeating myself? Or do I sit here and look dumb? Oh no, I don't look dumb. It's just the fact that repetition is absolutely necessary to idiots that decide that guns are the answer. The gun holder that shot those three people, the three children, and the three adults has to be held accountable, but police killed Well, you have to answer to why you did what you did. So we could prevent things like that happening again. So y'all really don't believe now that guns are the problem? Let me share something with you. As of January 1st of 2023, here are the 10 deadliest school shootings in the United States since the 10, uh, 1999 Columbine High School Massacre in Colorado, in which 13 were killed. You have the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting, 33 people died. The 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Newton, Connecticut, 27 people died. Last year, 2022 Rob Elementary School 
uh, shooting in Uvalde, Texas. 22 people died. 2018, Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida. 17 people died. Uh, 2018, Santa Fe High School shooting in Texas. 10 people died. Uh, 2015, Umpqua Community College near Rosenberg, Oregon. 10 people died. 2005, Red Lake shootings in Minnesota. 10 people died. 2012, Ocas, I'm sorry, University shooting in Oakland, California. 7 people died. 2008, Northern Illinois University. Northern Illinois University shooting, six people died. And in 2006, West Nickel Mines School shooting in Bart Township, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Six people died. Uh, the other school shootings occurring in the United States included the 1966 University of Texas Tower shooting in Austin, in which 16 people were killed. And then you have the 2001 San, uh, Santana High School shooting in Santee, California, in which two people were killed. And then you had the 2018 Marshall H County High School shooting in Benton, Kentucky, in which two people were killed. And the 2021 Oxford High School shooting in Oxford Township, Michigan, in which four were killed. So, during 1996, the CDC together with the U.S. Department of Education and the United States Department of Justice, published a review of deaths related to school occurring as a result of violence, including explicitly unintentional firearm-related death for the academic years 1992-93 and 93-94. A second study in Anderson Kaufman Simon 2001, a continuation from the 1996 study, was published December 5th and covered the period from 94 to 99. A United States Secret Service study concluded that schools were placing false hope in physical uh, security when they should be paying more attention to the pre-attack behaviors of students. Zero tolerance policies and metal detectors are unlikely to be helpful, the Secret Service researchers found. The researchers focused on questions concerning the reliance on SWAT teams when most attacks are over before police arrive. Profiling of students who show warning signs in the absence of a definite profile, exposure of students for minor infractions when exposure is the spark that pushed some to return with a gun. Buying software not based on school shootings studies to evaluate threats, although killers rarely make direct threats in reliance on metal detectors and police officers in schools when shooters often make no effort to conceal their weapons. In May of 2020, I'm sorry, 2002, the Secret Service published a report that examined 37 U.S. school shootings. They had the following findings. Incidents of targeted violence at school were rarely sudden impulsive acts. Prior to most incidents, other people knew about the attacker's idea or plan to attack. Most attackers did not threaten their targets directly prior to advancing the attack. There is no accurate or useful profile of students who engage in targeted school violence. Most attackers, attackers engage in some behavior prior to the incident that caused others' concerns for, or indicated a need for help. Most attackers had difficulty coping with significant losses of, or personal failures. Moreover, many had considered or attempted suicide. Many attackers felt bullied, persecuted, or injured by others prior to the attack. Most attackers has access to and had used weapons prior to the attack. In many cases, other students were involved in some capacity. And despite prompt law enforcement responses, most of the incidents were stopped by means other than law enforcement intervention. The Tennessee shooting? Audrey Hale? She planned this shooting for months. Police said that. She planned this shooting for months. Nobody would have never known that she was planning this shooting for months. Because she was legally registered and lawfully, rightfully so, was rightfully able to carry a gun. The evaluation wasn't there. The evaluation wasn't there at all. 
And then when the students knew, when one student, I believe it was one student that knew, like literally minutes before the attack, that student took action. What should I do? She went asked for help. What should I do? Had that student not done anything, that would have gotten worse. That's just in my personal opinion. But we really need to be more precautionary with people that suffer with mental illness because you never know which direction they're going to go. You never know. And that's what's most painful about everything that's happening right now as we speak. I just mentioned other shootings. Ten of them, to be exact. I'm sorry. Um, Ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen shootings. Just mentioned fifteen shootings, including the Tennessee shooting that just happened the 27th of March. So, I'm going to leave everyone with this. I say it all the time, I'm going to say it again. You need to check on your peoples. Because you never know where they stand. Especially if they've been through rough times. You never know. Even though it's hard to keep constant eyes on, on them. But it's important to know the signs. Since the Republicans are not really going to do a damn thing about these shootings. Let's at least do our part. To find the signs to prevent shootings like the 15 I just mentioned. That's all I have. I appreciate everybody's time. I appreciate everyone listening to me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'll be back in May to start World Mental Health Month. Where I'll be doing a podcast every day. I am prepping for it right now as we speak. And also doing uh, today's podcast also at the same time. I'm doing a little bit of both. And so now I'm going to focus on World Mental Health Month. Prep for it. So I can get these uh, get these ready. So I can do May. Which I'm very excited about for two reasons. I'm very excited about it because number one, um, it's World Mental Health Day, or World Mental Health Month, I'm sorry. And I want to actually present this podcast. I'm excited about that. And number two, it has nothing to do with mental health, but it does. This will be close to the end of my dissolvement. I wish I really would have had the time to do it. And uh, be able to take my time to the process. That would have been great. But some things are not really cut out that way. I'm pretty sure next year, yes, I will. I will. So, along with other things and projects that I have in mind too. So, I'm excited about it. So, join me in May as I do that. Um, I am on social media, of course, uh, Instagram, Love University, Twitter, at Love University, uh, email me, breakingmiddle8 at gmail.com, about anything, I don't care what it is, just email me, let's talk, but until then, stay true to yourself, and always remember, when it comes to listening, you're one step closer to bringing awareness, let's go!